Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Very well. Yeah, very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. What's news? I have blue hair. You do have blue I'm hair. I'm so embarrassed. I did not even notice that. You had a Christmas <laughs> hat on, though. Yeah, no, I, did have I think a it's also because from here, when your head's back and you've got your headphones over, it just looks dark. Yeah, right. right. It looks fabulous. Yeah. Yes. It's, um, it's oh, my... Electric blue. It's, blue. it's my <laughs> attempt at Movember. I'm, oh, rather than fabulous. doing facial hair, I'm going blue mohawk for the month. I know, and I I want to donate to you, but I haven't been paid yet and I'm brassically broke. So once I have some money in the bank, (laughs) I will (laughs) transfer some into your fundraising because it's a very good cause. It is. What about you, Swanee? Any news? Are you doing something interesting tomorrow? I am. I'm so excited, actually. I'm going going east. I'm going back to the gong to see my family. Um, and in particular, my dad, who I haven't seen for a little while, and I'm really excited. It's really lifted my mood, I have to say. It's been a bit of a tricky time over here for my husband's family, yeah. and it's sort of made me realise that I, I haven't seen enough of my family, so it's been a bit tricky in trying to find a, a window to pop over, but that window is opening tomorrow, and, I, and off I go. So I'm really Ooh, excited. I see my brother and my stepbrothers and sister, and you know I've seen my mum a bit more, so that's it'll be nice. But it'll be really lovely to see my dad and my stepmom and everyone. I'm excited. Excellent. What about you, Schmidt? What are you up to, darling? Oh, uh, <laughs> I. Has the category been called? Yeah, I'm off to Kiteon after we record this to help out with "We Will Rock You." This episode goes live in Christmas, so the show will be over by then. So you can't buy tickets, but I think it'll be all right as far as shows go. But there's just some. Last minute hiccups, which are not helped by people thinking that COVID is over and spreading it around on each other. But that's okay. That is the life we lead. I guess COVID's quite bad for theatre work, isn't it? I mean, Hamilton had to cancel multiple shows. Is that right? COVID, yeah. Even even sort of recently. So I went in and saw, oh, I can't remember what show I saw. It was good, whatever it was. And Hamilton was across the road and it, it... People were all cancelled out of it. You know, mm. they'd show up and they, they they did the right thing. They got their tickets either refunded or moved to another performance. But for the performers themselves, that's your money. That's your livelihood. Mm. That's in casts that have understudies and people who can double and do stuff. We've got a very thin cast in this. We Will Rock You as a Queen show. Don't know if you know it. Quite good, quite fun show. Written the storyline written by Ben Elton. So lots of funny jokes in it. But when we, we kind of... Came off the back of Mamma Mia, everything was fab. And then all of a sudden we realised, well, we found out that we, we were meant to do We Will Rock You in March next year. And then the rights, I think it's coming out professionally. And so they said, you won't be able to do the right, have the rights to it. So we had to do it this side of Christmas to get it right. on. So it was a really quick turnaround in terms of having auditions and people show up. So we don't have as many cast members to double it as we would like to have had because we would have doubled it because of COVID, but we haven't been able to do that. So We've got a risk. We're running at a risk at the moment. So I was working out how we can put like little ear pieces in people's ears if they're ring-ins so that we can say their lines to them while they're on the stage and just prompt them through it because I think we're going to have to get to that. But that's what I'm going to go and set up and work out tonight. That's me. So what are we drinking? Well, we're, we're doing a swanee. Oh, no, we're all doing a swanee in that case. 
Oh, cheers, darlings. Look. Oh, cheers. Oh, all on the Coke, no sugars. We're all having oh. the DCs. We had a massive day yesterday. Yeah, oh, okay. did you? Mm-hmm. What were you celebrating? What was, what was yesterday? A Monday? We, oh, you yeah, had a public holiday, do you? Or? No. Okay. We did the no, Beachworth Extraordinary <laughs> Chardonnay Experience, which Lovely. was basically... I saw um, that picture and it threw me because you posted it yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, and I went, oh, I forgot. Oh, okay, right. Wow. Mm. It was a very Kiss good lunch. Abound. Very Amazing. good? Yes. Amazing yeah, lunch good. and amazing the wines. wine was incredible. Incredible wines. Mm. Oh, that's so nice. What time did you finish up? We finished up. About Mid-ish. midnight, I think. Yeah, that's late. Some period. people who were with us were at about four thirty. So. <gasps> From lunch, that is very impressive. That is no yeah. wonder you. No wonder you're on the DCs. Oh. And I went plus, to we're in the, on... in the spa as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that never helps. No. <laughs> oh yes, well I'm on the DC. But what about you, Schmitty? Uh, you got a well, drink, have you? Or you got a drink, or where are you up to? Well, Tony's got roped in to do the lighting board as well, so he's. You've got a driver. Yeah, he's driving, but I still have to be fairly tidy. So I'm just having a small off and cordial, basically, from my with a bit of soda stream. It's a bit of a Frankenstein, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> now, who are we? I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are. Trial by wine. Okay, so this is a a story, my story today. And I just will, I mentioned it earlier, but this episode actually will air on the 25th of December. So I thought it would be just a little bit of fun to have a kind of, you know, seasonal uh, episode, Christmas episode. And that was before I started looking into it because there's some pretty horrendous <laughs> shit that goes down around Christmas. That's what that I right? found out. Yeah. So, yeah. So I thought I'd have a little look-see into the less than festive things that have happened over the Christmas period. And, of course, I found short stories on drunk mall Santas, uh, robberies committed by Santa and his elf, a yep. urinating Santa in a car park. <laughs> there was a story about a little boy who woke up on Christmas Day to find a stranger in the house who was actually just decorating the house for him. And turned out the guy was on drugs. And um, he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to frighten anyone. He was very polite and he tried and he left. <laughs> so that was nice, but he was also an unwelcome house elf. But what did surprise and horrify me was the number of murders that have taken place over Christmas. You know, I was toying with the idea of doing a light dive into, you know, just funny little Christmas-based stories because also yeah. there are people who've been... There was one woman who was effectively bludgeoned to death because someone thought she'd stolen all the Hershey kisses. Some poor old lady who got help belted over the head by a two-by-four by a bloke and apparently later died in hospital. Um, not that that's a light dive, but that's one of these short stories where there's not a lot of information yep. further to that. Quite a few stories of people who were unhappy with the gift that they were given and so they punched on their partner or they were unhappy with the response of someone when they gave them a gift so they punched them or stabbed them some number of times. Jesus. Unnecessarily, (laughs) unnecessary reactions to, you know, gift giving. So there's a bit of that. Uh, Is there anything to do with undercooked food perhaps on Christmas? No, no, I didn't see anything about salmonella or anyone getting the shits. Nothing like that. Um, Nothing like that. Isn't it like a a peak period for domestic abuse and when it starts to unravel that whole season where people are forced to be with each other, which it just sounds like a small COVID these days, but, you know, people (laughs) hang out together under a little bit of pressure 
people are a bit disappointed sometimes financial, you know, pressures of Christmas or whatever else, and all of a sudden it turns into a bloodbath because people are sort of hanging out with each other and attacking one another. I think it's can well, be a you're tough absolutely time right. For it can be a yeah. tough time for people. I think. It is, it is, and so yeah, and so some of these murders that um, I looked at were fueled by mm. domestic abuse, broken yeah. relationships. So yep. you know, partners had broken up, and then one was unhappy with the arrangement or whatever, and ah, came right. and murdered others. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, violent robberies, and there are just some unsolved mysteries as well. Around yep. this period, John Benet Ramsey is one of them. Uh, is that she, Christmas related, John Benet Ramsey? She was murdered on Christmas Day, yes. Was she really? I didn't she know was, that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, they went to a Christmas party the night before and then it yep. was uh, on Christmas Eve and the next morning. Oh, God, that that's even more. I still remember it. I remember it being wintry sort of imagery, but I didn't, I didn't mm. make that connection. Look, I did think about doing that story, but I, I just get so frustrated with that because, mm. you know, we don't know who did it. Uh, there are lots of theories around, and the family whose lives were destroyed. You know, it's just, it's just a, it's yeah. a real tragedy that one. But I didn't, so I didn't do that. So today, being Christmas Day for all of you listening to us now, on this happy day, I'm mm-hmm. going to tell a very nasty story, and I suggest that if you've just sat down with your favourite tipple, a stomach full of delicious Christmas fare, thinking I'm going to listen to those funny f- japes and funsters at Trial by Wine you might want to hit pause and come back to us tomorrow on Boxing Day because, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but here I go. My sources for today's shocker are Wikipedia, Murderpedia, all that's interesting, (laughs) morbidtourism.com and Encyclopedia encyclopedia of Arkansas.net. Okay, so as you were saying, Swanee, the holiday season isn't for everyone. Yeah. It can be very fraught time for people. Um, you know, the pressure of spreading goodwill and peace to all mankind can just be a bit too much for some people. A bit overwhelming. It is, it is. Not all mankind. Yeah, there are some people who just don't <laughs> just deserve it, right? Well, I think if your circumstances, and I don't necessarily mean financial, I mean lots of circumstances, both yeah. in terms of firm, family, it really puts it under a spotlight, doesn't it? When you're it constantly does. looking at imagery that's so perfect and, you know, all the feel-good holiday ads are on, if you can't escape it, it's like, oh, do I measure up? I mean, everybody feels a bit like that, really. Oh, our Christmas dinner doesn't like that. Oh, our family doesn't get along like that. Oh, we don't look like that on Christmas morning. <laughs> yeah. The bar's pretty high, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I think about the years after Dad passed away, you know, like you just you still had the nieces and nephews who were enjoying their Christmas, but it, yeah. it just never felt the same. It's it's no. improved now, but yeah. you know, people are going through grief. People are going through missing loved ones who are no longer with them, uh, or as you say, financial pressures. Do you remember we? I did a short dive on a story about a girl who conned a bloke for Christmas presents. Do you remember that? Yes. There was yeah yeah, yeah. some girl who ripped some bloke off a. <laughs> Yeah, Christmas. That's a new cast. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's all going on. In our family, we have a Christmas Eve dinner. So, you know, families have rituals, to your point about, you know, what we look like on Christmas morning. Is that your European? I think it is, yeah. It started with my grandfather. So that's our formal Christmas dinner. And then on Christmas Day, everyone goes off to their in-laws. I have to go with mum to the cemetery to see dad and the grandparents. (laughs) Um, and then we regroup for a more casual dinner back at mum's mum's place, and that's when, of course, the best bit happens, which is giving the presents. So we have this present giving frenzy. There's twenty of us all squashed into the front room, and the gifts are all doled out, and it's like nuts. And there's torn paper everywhere. And then after that, when the when the kids were little, we used to go and to walk them round to the people who spend far too the Griswolds of the area who put all these lights up and. 
you know, have these spectacular displays and we still do that a little bit, but our boys now are all adult, you know, the adult nephews, they like to drink beer and play pool. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's kind of the what happens with us. And then Boxing Day is a nothing day where we pack everything up, tidy up, and I usually take mum up to Ilden. So it really is a ritual or a habit now. What about you guys? Do you have rituals or habits around the period? Ours is definitely drink too much wine. Yeah, thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you just enjoy the public holidays? Oh, definitely yeah. enjoy the yeah. public holidays. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Swanee, I know. That. Yeah, we I was do a, say, what do you do? Yeah. We um we've since returning to Australia, we've we've hosted every time at our house and we've kind of got a bit of a thing going now and we have if we're lucky we'll have um my family come in from the east and then we host all of my husband's family here, my brother and that come over and we do a Christmas day event. So we don't do anything on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And we do something with our kids in the morning. It's very popular to go down to the beach in Perth, of course. Oh, I think course we've done that is, twice. Yeah. But if I'm doing the lunch and whatever else, I find a little bit pressure. So um, we yeah. haven't done that the last couple of years. And then we just have a long lunch and then Can it's invariably pretty hot and end up in the pool here. When yesterday. you do the lunch, what do you cater out of interest? What do we do? We will do... Not that this has anything to do with the story. I'm just interested. cold. So we'll do like it's the all honey glade right. hand yeah. But everything is cold except oh well, except for the roast vegetables and stuff. We do that. We don't do – it's not hot. It's in the middle of the 47 day. 47 degrees and we have yeah. to have a roast. It's like, no, oh, for God's sake. It's that – you know, ours looks like it's come from an Australian woman's weekly <laughs> – not 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 in the fact that it looks perfectly like it, but it's that sort of little bit of old school, a little bit modern. Places so there's some, a couple of contemporary salads with then the old school turkey, you know, all of that. It's just yeah. a yeah. – it's a buffet of – yeah. All the little things you like and help yourself don't. And there's yeah. always too much. But I've got to tell you, what we've recently yeah. discovered in the last few years is Aldi brings out at Christmas a stuffed turkey breast and it's rolled and yeah. we cook it the day or two before, or day before probably, and we'd yeah. serve it up cold. Yeah. It's never dry. It's so yeah, good. Mum used to do those. Yeah. And they're not that expensive, you know, So because I used to do the actual turkey. Yeah. Oh, what a disaster. Don't do that anymore. But I do smoke a ham. So my contribution to every formal Christmas dinner is a double smoked ham with maple and whatever weird shit. A smoked ham as opposed to yeah, a Yeah, in my smoker. Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, I do it in the hot smoker. smoker. You're so capable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, we don't, the ham that we have is absolutely beautiful, but it's done by a friend of ours and she does it each year as a gift to us. And my mm. kids love it. We rave about it, which I love things like that. You know, there's... Yeah. There has to be something these days that sets it apart because I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but as a child, there were certain things that really did only happen at Christmas. Mm -hmm. We had a special cupboard that things would start <laughs> accumulating in perhaps in October yep. and November where mum would see them on sale and she'd start putting, you know, soft yep. drinks or, you know, little you yep. know, special yep. treats because we weren't having them all year round. Correct. So yep. Christmas felt very special. Now it's like, well, you could have that stuff any day of the year. So what are the things yeah. that make it still a little bit particular to Christmas? I like that. When I was little and my grandma, my grandfather was still alive, mum used to do a plum pudding and she'd wrap up coins and put them yes, in, you know, yes. that thing. Mm. Yep, oh, yep. how many how many trips to the dentist do you reckon we'd have to have from biting into <laughs> a coin by accident? <laughs> and it was disgusting because yeah. she'd wrap them, she'd have to wrap them in greaseproof paper. So you'd be pulling this greaseproof paper oh, and the coin out of your mouth. So gross. So I'm glad that stopped. Anyway. All right. So this Christmas, while you're surrounded by your family, and, by the way, if things get a bit tense, just remember that no matter how much you hate that novelty jumper that you got or really resent the new Kris Kringle idea where you get some cheap shit you'd rather not have, you're doing okay and things could be an awful lot worse. And on that note, guys, 
Meet Ronald Simmons, who was born in Chicago, Illinois, on July the 15th, 1940. Sadly, Ronald's father passed away when Ronald was three years old and his mother, Loretta, married a man whose name was Mr. Griffin within a year. Griffin was a civil engineer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and as a result, they moved around central Arkansas for much of Ronald's youth. You know, you know how people move from base to base because they mm-hmm. get um, given different sort of succumbents. And possibly because he was an army kid, Ronald dropped out of school in 1957 and joined the U.S. Navy. In 1960, he married, and I have no idea how to say this woman's name, sorry, Bersab or Bersabe. How would you say B-E-R-S-A-B-E? I meant to do a, pr- a pronunciation B-E-R-S-A-B-E. check. B-E-R-S-A-B-E. Yeah. It's, do we know what it, nationality she is? Her last name is Ulabari. Oh. Bersabe? So Arabic, is she? I don't know. Anyway, she went by the name of Rebecca. So thank God. He married <laughs> Rebecca Ulabari. <laughs> We thank you very much, Basabe. Yeah. And and the couple went on to have seven children over the course Whoa! of eighteen years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Busy, busy. No TV in those days. No. no. Oh, Becky. Woo. Them out. <laughs> Ronald left the Navy and joined the Air Force in 1962, and he had a strong career. He was awarded some medals for his service as an airman, notably in the Vietnam War and the Air Force Ribbon for Excellent Marksmanship before retiring in 1979 with the rank of Master Sergeant. So 20 years and seven children later, Ronald settles into civilian life. In 1981, Ronald packed the family up and took them from their home in New Mexico to Ward, Arkansas, and later near Dover, Arkansas. And for you, Clarkie, apparently that's on the foothills of the Ozarks. Yes. Why is that for him and not me? I'm the map lady. Oh, because he loves Ozark. <laughs> he likes the Ozark. TV right, show. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love you. I, yeah. I like Ozark too. Oh, I need oh, to. There's sorry. a whole for both of you. That's on um, the foothills of the Ozarks. I need to have a look at that because right. I find that whole area quite interesting. So I really know nothing about it. And lots of I think it's sort of an intersection of a number of different states happen around there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, as I understand it. So yeah. what was the name of the place? Where I'm in Arkansas? Sure where we're, where we're, Dover is where they end Dover, up. Near, near Dover, yeah. Arkansas. Right. Just a footnote here. Remember I said I put this story together this morning? Yeah. So <laughs> no, that's right. I'm just interested. Probably that's as well researched as I normally am. And look, I did do I did do, do some digging into this, but it's sort of like you know when you, you you hear a whole bunch of stuff, but you can't credit the the source of it, so you don't know yeah. if it's credible or not so I kind of left that out and I can talk about it but it is completely unverified in my opinion yes anyway so he found a gorgeous fixer-upper in a 13 acre piece of land (gasps) which housed I know isn't that lovely which housed two clapped out mobile homes that had been joined in some kind of Frankenstein meets the block but without a budget build (laughs) and I say without a budget because there was no indoor plumbing and no phone. So, and also it was shit. Oh, sorry. Was that the part that was the fixer-upper part? I just oh, thought that's that the fixer-upper. No, oh, that's well, the fixer-upper. I was like, what? I was thinking, what? I, I thought it was inconsequential. I was being like, a little bit sarky about this gorgeous <laughs> fixer-upper. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was separate to the house that needed to be renovated. That was just on their land. No, no, no. That no, is no, the concept. That's that the is home. It. That's, that's seven children. So nine people <sighs> are going to move into. Yeah. Yeah, there's no plumbing or phone, um, but on the bright side, he did ensure that they had a makeshift fence surrounding the home, which was in part in parts of it up to 10 feet high. So nine people in effectively two caravans pushed up together 
with no indoor plumbing. It's great. Mm. Why has he done this? Well, I'll get to that. It sounds like Ruth's house in the Ozark. Yeah. Well, it does conjure a whole image of this. Later I read about there was shit everywhere. There's junk everywhere. He called it building materials. Yes. They had, you know, like that one that you that you did about the girl who was abducted for 18 years and they were in this sort of compound and, and it was, there yes, was rubbish all around me. it so no yep. one could see in it. See, it had the tarp over the back of it. It was all, yeah, all of that, yes. It just looked, it looked like a mess versus a sight yeah. of something sinister. It just looks well, like. Why would you bother going in there? Yeah, this is like a property in the middle of what well, it feels like in the middle of nowhere. Thirteen acres, um, very isolated, and from these are the unreliable sources that I yeah. read were about he kept the family away. The children were never allowed to, you know, they went to school and everything, but yep. they weren't allowed to have sleepovers. They weren't allowed to see other people. Well, that was what it was going to lead to my question when you said this high fence. I was like, well, what's the nest? Mm-hmm. Why what are you hiding? That? Yeah, yeah. Or the why wife. Yeah. Allegedly, the wife had been seen with bruises on her face a couple of times. Oh. You know, there there is, and yet this is all left out of more reputable sources like Wikipedia. So that's why I'm saying I got this from some Arkansas paper yeah. somewhere early on to when it was reported when this crime happened. Right. But I think there probably is something in it, but I can't say for sure that that's yeah. exactly. It sounds right. consistent with the Ozark. That's yeah, well, that's sure. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now back to your question. Why did Ronald move the family? Well, it was just this little issue that he'd had in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, right. where those pesky Department of Human Services people were investigating him for allegations of raping his 17-year-old daughter and fathering her child. <gasps> oh. What? Right. Gross. Yeah, that was my next note. Gross. Yeah. Uh, so so he took them the out of New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Well, so if we believe those stories of him yes. being super controlling and yep. possibly abusive, probably abusive, then yes, the family would have been aware of it, but they were probably also terrified of him. So okay. So is it now seven kids and a grandkid? Yes, it is. In it the gets, house? Gets, it gets or bigger. Is, oh, did, not, did not, not in 1981. Not in 1981. This bit of movement happens. So, but they had seven children, more grandchildren are produced, not from him, by the way. Uh. There is, she has a child that is his child. Going back to your point, Carla, sorry, the daughter who was abused by him and got pregnant did report it to the school and that was why the Department of Human Services were investigating him. But when they moved away and given it was the like late 70s, early 80s, yeah. and they moved twice, yeah, it, and no, and none of the family ever kind of wanted to progress with any complaint. It, it just got dropped. It went away. So for the next six years, Ronald worked a series of low-paying jobs, including working as an accounts receivable clerk at Woodline Motor Freight, which he left after accusations of making inappropriate sexual advances to co-workers. And working, correct. Mm-hmm, and working at the Sinclair Mini Mart, although he quit that job on the 18th of December, 1987. Talk about escalating. Far Mm. out. Okay. Oh, this, I told you, this is nasty, right? Whoa. 
Why did he decide to do that? My next line, it is not clear why. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen! But there are some theories suggesting that his wife, Rebecca, had been considering leaving him. There was something about a letter that she'd written to the son that said, I can't stay with your dad, I can't imagine staying with your dad, something like that. And then, of course, those allegations about incest people knowing about that, gossiping about him, that kind of thing. But I tend to think he just decided that the world was giving him the shits and he was going to do something about it. Jesus. Remember, he's left. He's lost two jobs. He quit one, but I suspect he was being managed, and he quit the other one or lost his job because of sexual allegations. So I think he feels like the world's against him. And, of course, his family are against him because he's a the rapist. World, the world, and, yeah, the world's abuser. against him because he kept sexually abusing them. Mm-hmm. And look, it is hard to say what goes through the mind of someone who commits such violent and atrocious crimes as I'm about to talk about. So, you know, I can't speak to what really happened in his head, uh, but that's what I'm surmising. So four days after he quits his job, on December 22, Ronald shot dead his wife, Rebecca, and his son, Jean. Brace yourselves. He then strangled his three-year-old granddaughter, Barbara, to death. He dumped their bodies in a four-foot deep ditch that had been intended to be a cesspit and had been dug out by his own children previously. So he made the kids, and I've read multiple accounts, but it sounds like not long before this happened, he made his children who were living at home, because not all of his kids are home at this point, dig out this big hole. And this is in December, and I'm not really that au fait with the geography of Arkansas. You can help me with this colour. But I'm pretty sure it snows and it's cold. So can you imagine imagine digging a great big hole in the middle of winter? It's not easy, you know, so those poor kids. I would definitely think if it wasn't snowing, it'd be, I reckon it would be, it'd be frosty cold. and cold. Yeah, 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 and very hard ground, I would have thought. Exactly, yeah. exactly, frozen ground. So then he, he waited patiently for his four children who had been at school to return. Under the guise of giving them presents, he took them one by one outside and strangled them and held their heads underwater in a rain barrel, beginning with Loretta, his 17-year-old daughter, Eddie, then his 14-year-old son, Marianne, his 11-year-old daughter, and Becky, his eight-year-old daughter. And I believe he also put them in the cesspit with the others. So they're, Take a moment. It's pretty harsh, yep. They, they all know they're all being murdered by their dad in front of each other, no? Well, that was really interesting because uh, in the very factual Wikipedia-type telling of the story, mm-hmm. you don't get any sense of that. But then I did read something else around the forensics where one of the brothers, probably Gene, who got shot because... Yeah. They, he was able, he was alive long enough to put blood smears on the walls with his hands. Right. So there's, there's some evidence that he didn't die immediately. Yeah. One of the girls could have been Becky. I I don't know if it, no, it wasn't, I don't know if it was Becky. One of the girls was found apparently upstairs in her room, like she'd run away and then Mm -hmm. she'd been suffocated. So it must've been, it was, look, there's, there's more to come, but it was one of those younger girls was in a room. So I feel like some people, the, obviously the first round of gunshots between Rebecca and Jean, I think must have happened pretty quickly. Um, We've gone and from shooting to strangulation. Yeah. To Surely the, drowning? I mean, the three-year-old granddaughter wouldn't have no. been knowing what was going on. So no. it was, but those four children who came in and he said, I've got a present for you. I'll take you outside. I, you know, just a surprise for you. Oh! Each one of those was let out and murdered. Yeah. It's really disturbing, yeah. Far out. Okay, so then after that, four days later, the other children that were no longer living at home and their spouses and their children, so his grandchildren, arrived for their annual Christmas visit. Billy, who was 22, and his wife, 
Renata were shot dead. He then strangled and drowned their 20-month-old son, Trey. When Sheila, who was the daughter he abused and had had a child with him, and her husband, Dennis McNulty, arrived, he shot them dead also. Then, as with the other small children, he strangled seven-year-old Sylvia Gale, and I think Sylvia might be the one who ran upstairs. I think it might be her, who is his daughter. And his 21-month-old grandson, Michael. What's the death count at this yeah, point? I know. The, Two original, one 14. baby, four kids outside. 14. Six have just turned up. Where am I at? It's I mean, 14. Seven. I'm missing one. So, all right, we've got Rebecca and Jean. They were Bar- shot one's ba- done. Ba- yeah, baby the Barbara. Baby strangled. The four other Taken children yeah. uh, who are Loretta. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Right. Loretta, Eddie, Marianne and Becky. Yep. And then Billy and his wife Renata, and, and then their child, and their child Trace. That's yep. ten. Sheila, her husband Dennis, yes, and then Sylvia, yes. Gail, who is the seven-year-old, and then the twenty-month-old grandson Michael, fourteen. And where's the mother? She's, she's, mother. She was she's the dead. First she was one. the first to be murdered. She yeah. Was. Yep. Okay. That is insane. Is he done yet? No. <gasps> so, Oh. Not that, you know, spoiler alert or anything, Clarky. Anyway, I, I did read <laughs> yeah, different sorry. accounts. It's okay. I did read it different accounts, but I think what happened is seven of them were outside in that grave, Cess that pit, shallow yeah. grave slash yeah. cesspit. The others were inside. I think Renata and Billy were next to the dining table. Sheila, and this is the one that he, uh, the sorry, the daughter that he had abused and had a child with, was laid out in state on the dining table with Rebecca, his her mother's best uh, tablecloth over her. But all the others were sort of just laid out in the lounge room, as in the ones that were still in the house. And the two toddlers, so the two boys, Trey and Michael, he wrapped them in plastic, like garbage bags, and he put them in... Two different abandoned cars, I think they were. And I wondered about that, whether it was because he couldn't face what he'd done or something, like whether that was... Because that seems just so weird. Like all the others are either in a pit or they're in the house. Why take the two little babies? And they were the two boys that were both under two years old. Who knows? I can't understand. This is horrendous. I know, I told you. Merry Christmas. So after killing your entire immediate family... What do you think you'd do? Kill myself. He's not going to do that, I know. But, you know. No. I'll have a glass of scotch or something. Very close to the mark. Go to and see a movie, go shopping. No, well, we've had killers who sit down to dinner. Remember, we've had a few who've had a little meal. But he doesn't do that. KFC? No, he doesn't have KFC. (laughs) He went to pick up some Christmas presents that had been ordered, you know, and that hadn't arrived yet. So he went and got those from Sears. And then he went to a local bar for a drink because, you know, he had a thirst. Do we know what date this is, Schmidt? Is this like the 24th or the 20th? 26th. I think this is 26th or 28th. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's days in between. But, you know, he had a thirst. And how does it happen? You're coaching the crew or printing the news. Or strangling till you thought you would burst. You've sure got a thirst. Oh. Matter of fact, I've got it now. (laughs) (laughs) I've tried to find a way to lighten this because it's so horrific. A hard-earned thirst needs a good (laughs) cold cold beer. beer. And the best cold cold beer beer is is bitter. Yes, and Um, for our international listeners, that was a little gag about an iconic beer in Australia. And it's straining till you thought you would burst in the original ad, not strangling till you thought you would burst, yeah. So, I'll tell you, I had, had, was trying to find something. Anyway, so after the bar, he went back to his home and surrounded by family at Christmas time, he Stop watched it. some TV and drank beer. <gasps> Sounds pretty normal Boxing Day to me. 
minus the murders, of course. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. Anyway. Everyone yeah. would have been like a normal Boxing Day just laying around not saying much. Well, that's what he was doing. And every, yeah, right, everyone else was pretty quiet. That's right. <laughs> Poor taste. Oh, it's horrendous. All of that is a lot to take in. And at this point, no one suspects anything because why would they? Like Billy and his wife, Renata, Sheila and Dennis, they're not, no one thinks they're missing. They've gone to their family for Christmas, yeah. you know. And it's holiday season, so. It's perfectly normal, you know. So there's no alarm, no, nothing to worry about. And I don't know how long that would have gone on. But Ronald decided he wasn't done. Killing his entire family, 14 people, wasn't quite addressing whatever it was that had given him the shits. So, so yes, that was the December the 26th, Carly, you're right, because on December the 28th, a couple of days later, after a okay. few beers and whatever, he drove into Russellville and bought another gun from Walmart. So he's already got one gun because he's killed people at home with that. Got another gun, and he was brandishing two guns at this point. He then walked into the offices of Peel, Eddie and Gibbons Law Firm where he murdered Kathy Kendrick. I believe he shot her in the head and the chest. What was the connection with the law firm and him? Kathy was a receptionist who was the very unfortunate object of Ronald's desire. Oh. And she told him to cease and desist. A little legal joke there. You know, piss off. I'm not interested. Uh, and so in... Obviously, he felt slighted, so that was a good enough reason to go and murder her. Then he went into the office of the Taylor. I don't think it was. No, I know, I know. <laughs> he then went into the office of the Taylor Oil Company and shot dead J.D. Chaffin and wounded Rusty Taylor, who owned the Sinclair Minimart that he'd left recently. Now, he also shot at some other employee in the oil place and he missed them. Poor old J.D. I think J.D. was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't think he – I couldn't find any connection – as to what, like, he wasn't gunning for JD. He yeah. went in to get Rusty. But Rusty didn't die. He was just wounded, which is, you know, good, but not the whole thing's not good. Anyway, he was still wasn't quite finished. So then he went on to the Mini Mart that he quit from 10 days earlier and shot, again, not fatally, thankfully, Roberta Woolery and David Saylor. And then he went on to the Woodline Motor Freight Company, where he'd worked earlier, like a couple of years earlier, and shot and wounded a woman who was his previous supervisor, Joy Butts. And be that a warning to you, Clarkie. You know, when we supervise and manage people, we must take into account the things that could happen down the line. Because he hadn't even worked there for two years when he went into and shot poor old Joyce Butts. Did I say Joy Butts? You did say Joy Sorry. Butts, yes, Joyce which is Butts. why I snickered. His previous supervisor, Joyce Butts. Fortunately, she survived. Then he instructed a secretary at that place, her name, a woman called Vicky Jackson, at gunpoint to phone the police. He's alleged to have told her, I've come to do what I wanted to do. It's all over now. I've gotten everybody who wanted to hurt me. Oh. He's also alleged to have said, Jesus. I just wanted to kill Joyce. Just Joyce. Oh, this is interesting. This is where someone turns up and they think they've discovered one part of a crime and then something else leads into something much larger. Right, 100%. Yeah. So the police arrived because people, I think, from the oil company were calling the police because people, right, you so, know, like doing yeah. the normal... Jesus, oh you know, God. duck and duck for cover and get out of here and call the police. Police arrive. Active shooter. Yeah, yeah. So they arrive and they arrest him and they try to contact his family. And of course, getting no response, they go out to the property and they find the family in the lounge room. And this was interesting because you know how the media works where you get the first news in and then you get the next news in and you get yeah, the next yeah, news yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. When you look back at these stories, you know, in one, like we know what happened now, but in one, it's like seven people 
or five mm. people. So they found yeah. the ones in the lounge room first. I think it took some time for them to then find the yeah. other yeah. guys in the trench. Yeah, 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 yeah. The babies in the car, I think, were the last yeah. to be found. Yeah, because, of course, they would have said, hang on, they've got children, where are they? So he was charged with 16 counts of murder. 16. Yeah, found guilty and sentenced to death. He refused to appeal his death sentence, stating, to those who oppose the death penalty, in my particular case, anything short of death would be cruel and unusual punishment. What? I don't think you get to choose that, mate. Well, you might want to think about that when we get to sentencing. John Bynum, who was the prosecutor in the case, successfully prosecuted it. Simmons was first tried for the Russellville crimes, so the people he'd shot in various businesses, the two people he'd murdered. Yeah. And a jury convicted him of capital murder and sentenced him to death. He made an additional statement under oath supporting his sentence. I, Ronald Jean Simmons Sr., want it to be known that it is my wish and my desire that absolutely no action by anybody be taken to appeal or in any way change this sentence. It is further respectfully requested that this sentence be carried out expeditiously. The trial court con uh, conducted... fuck? Please kill me and kill me now. Yeah, yeah. The trial court conducted a hearing concerning Simmons's competence to waive further proceedings and concluded that his decision was knowing and intelligent. On the 31st of May, Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton si oh, yeah. signed Simmons's execution warrant and on June 25th, 1990, he died by the method that he had chosen, lethal injection, in the Cummins unit. None of his surviving relatives would claim the body. I'm amazed there are any. And he was buried in a common slash potter's slash pauper's grave. June, did you say? Yes, July. 1990. And when was his, which year was his crime? 87. 87. It yeah, is right. apparently on record as the fastest time from sentencing to yeah. execution. It in sounds US, very quick. In US yeah. history, yeah. yeah. Now, I didn't write any of this down, so I'm, you know, just winging it, but there was a whole carry on about his refusal to appeal this to appeal it because when he was in jail he was actually getting some of his um, death row inmates were threatening to kill him ironically because he wouldn't appeal his case because they felt that it would affect their or chances their, of appealing yeah. a case yeah and one of them even tried to bring an appeal on his behalf forward so that they had legs. So there was this all this sort of judicial shit that went down at the same time. But I didn't want to distract on all of that because, you know, there are 16 people who lost their lives in this story and all the argy-bargy in the end is kind of, it's not immaterial from a legal or judicial perspective, but it's not really, you know, I just want to get to you guys' sentencing on this one. His defence lawyer also tried to blame the New Mexico Department of Human Services for not arresting him back in 1981 when they had this case against him for abusing his daughter and said that it's because of them that all these murders happened. But I Really? Yeah, I don't buy that. I'm sorry. No. Long long boat long long road to hoe that one. What yeah. went wrong? What what happened? Well, I did mention that he was a Vietnam vet and uh. Again, not, not having a ton of time, but I, I went a little bit down a rabbit hole on that. And yeah. there's a ludicrous number of serial killers who served in Vietnam, like, right? like 30 or something of them, including the original, not the original Night Stalker, although original Night Stalker might be one. No, the East Area Rapist. No, the original Night Stalker, who was the East Area Rapist, 
Joseph D'Angelo, who I did in the familial DNA story, I talked about him. Yeah. yeah. He served in Vietnam as well, and he was a, a prolific rapist and serial killer. Yep. And there are a bunch of others too, and I just was like, wow. So I was starting to read an essay on on someone who, or a book, not the book, but, you know, the, the cliff notes. Of, he wasn't um, around too long, but was um, Ronald ever interviewed? Like, is there any? Yeah, he was interviewed, Did but I couldn't find inside? anything on it. It was He was interviewed multiple times, and I, I feel like what I read was the interviews were more to determine whether or not he was sane yeah. uh, and whether or not his decisions about not appealing the case were valid and therefore shouldn't be challenged. And yeah. they, he was found to be perfectly sound of mind. Oh, my God. Isn't it awful? I think like it's I, a lot. I, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to but take in. The, the children. I mean, not and that I don't feel sorry for the adults, but I, you'd like to think that they died immediately from, you know, being shot. There's uh, something think that, that I find particularly um, disturbing, which is if you're the person who's got the gun, there's a way to wipe everybody out, right? Bang, 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 bang. And then when he shifts from shooting at one point to the other more hands-on methods, I that really, ugh. It's that, awful, isn't it? There's it? a shift in that to me in terms of wanting to be involved. You know what sometimes I think sometimes shooting can be somewhat detached. It's like bang, you're dead, it's all done, you know what I mean? But there's some of those more hands-on crimes where you're... To ugh, toddlers. Yes. And your own children. Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah. What so, do you do to number, sorry, it should be the question, first two, then the toddler, then the four children. Mm-hmm. Did you say he held their head under Yeah, water? in a rainwater tank. Rain water tank or a rainbow. So did they yeah. drown from, or did they die from drowning? Is that how they oh. died or was he just doing that to them as well? I suspect he strangled them and then finished okay. them off by drowning. Right. I didn't I didn't quite get that, but I thought, I'm sure I heard it. I didn't See, look I at any forensics really? or any um, you know, autopsy that said that they died of drowning over strangulation. I think they were all, actually there were a couple that said drowning rather than strangulation, but I think his methodology was the same. Like He probably strangled and drowned. And another question, although I don't know that you'd know this anyway, but I'm assuming that there were no major renovations completed by the time this all happened, that they were just still in those side by side trailers. Yeah, and he did, and the whole no having a why phone. Why didn't somebody was to run, keep them uh, try and run away or something? There's something else that's gone on there. Interestingly, the you know school teachers, like there were four children at, at school, and they were all mm. going through that sort of local school process. The, yeah. the town is like a hundred, uh, sorry, eight hundred people. It's not a big place. Right. It's a very small place. And the people who talked about them said the children were effectively unremarkable. They were always in attendance. They were not naughty, so they didn't stand out. Yep. They weren't the best students. They yep. weren't the worst students. Yeah. They, they they never really, no one noticed them almost. Mm-hmm. I, I found that extraordinary. The wife went to church. People noticed on occasion that she'd had bruises on her face and what have you. She never seemed to be reaching out to anyone. He isolated them, not just physically, but there was no phone. They weren't allowed to really do anything social, that sort of stuff. They had to go home. I don't know anything about that community, so I can't tell you that that would have been common or not common. You know, like I was surprised that his elder children had gone out and been able to marry and have relationships and have children of their own because I would have thought, given his particularly Sheila. I don't yeah. think he abused any other, well, he might have belted them, but he didn't sexually abuse, as far as I know, any of the other children. The only one that we're aware of is Sheila. Doesn't okay. mean he did, oh, sorry, I should take that all back because who knows what he did, right? Yeah. yeah if yeah, he was yeah. abusing Sheila, he could have abused any one of them. Yeah. Was there anything in his upbringing that was 
No. No, I mean, he was an army kid. Uh, they yeah. moved around a lot. There was nothing to suggest that his stepfather was abusive in any way. You know, he dropped out of school. He joined the army himself. He did very well in the army. You know, he enjoyed the military. He served in Vietnam. He did well in it. You know, all those things. He got all, he got medals, and I didn't name the medals that he got on purpose because I don't really want to give him any kudos. You know, mm. I don't I don't want to say he was a a hero in any way because he's an absolute monster. <laughs> you know, I just I'm with you on that. Oh, I just uh, yeah, really shocking. So my last note is just ho ho ho, Merry Christmas, and now to sentence or you know whatever you want to do with that. Spinning. Sometimes I think it takes when you've been reading the story, you look at it and it's you know you've read it and you see the picture and it's shocking. But sometimes I it leaves me a bit sort of dumbfounded. Do you feel like that, Clarky? You know, sometimes you just go, "What? What do you mean you did that? And how did you kill that many people? Then just go." Look, I did it. Sort me out, all go- and then that's all done. We're so used to everything being so drawn out, and then this yeah. person did the wrong mm. thing, and then they got away with this. You know, this is like been all tidy, all done. Killed, I think it's gone, interesting done. that he didn't kill himself, but he was quite happy yes. for the state to kill him. Yeah, no appeal. Yep, nope, that's fine. The idea that of saying that might have been done. I think that if yes. they'd given him life imprisonment, he's by his own. Uh, would have been know, cruel and unusual punishment. Exactly. By his own they statement, should have given him they that. Should have. They should have said, no, we're going to leave you to rot. Yeah. Yeah. I misunderstood that. So he was saying that was what was cruel and unusual. I thought he was saying anything less, oh, I don't know what I thought, anything less than death would be cruel and unusual to his victims. I don't know. Did, no, he, did he ever I show read, any no, remorse or anything? No, no, no. No, it's, it's like, and the reason I wrote it is like he, or the way I've told it is, he cracked the shits. He thought everyone was against him, whether they were a 18-month-old baby or a 26-year-old son or a 46-year-old wife or the bird he didn't want to cop off with him from, you know, the Lord. legal place. Yeah, 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 and yeah. probably the poor girl who got shot in the mini-mart also didn't want to cop off. Like, no one wanted him. He was repugnant. But his idea was... The best way to deal with this is to just try and kill everyone because they've all slighted me or something. But then when it was all done, it was a bit like a switch had got turned off almost. And he's like, yep, no, I'm fine with that. No, knock me off. Don't let me hang around. It would be cruel and unusual. Can't do that. I think that's the point. Oh, I feel like this kangaroo court's going to do that. Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) I I just don't understand and I, I really aggravates me that this whole thing of people who kill their family family I, annihilators i don't are yeah, just I, the worst yeah it's horrendous mm. um I, I wish they'd just kill themselves and be done leave everyone it's a else. control thing so yeah a possession yeah i think uh, yeah it's and it, it's a control thing in some cases with family annihilators often it's around loss of money or loss of perceived status here we go swanny She's going to tell us how it all works now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not from uh, experience, look, of course. Of but course. Just, yeah. I haven't gone down the line of doing a great deal of reading to refresh myself on this but recently, but family annihilators are often, um, often male. I think they're almost always male. Uh, yep. And they see that their role as the, uh, I won't say caregiver because that's nothing to do patriarch. with it. Patriarch. Um, the patriarch, the, the man who brings in the money and has the control over everything and and makes everything happen, when that is threatened and when it gets to a point where people are going to know that you've lost your house, you know, know, in financial crises or things like that, sadly, in some cases, 
there these people's response is i don't want my family to go through that so it's better if i kill them but that's not what has happened oh that's here. no this guy seems to just be like on a rampage my wife oh. might leave me i think the wife thinking about leaving him possibly i don't think he gave two shits about his children if, I, if i'm honest but i think the power over the wife the power over the family if that was taken away from him even the attacking people who sacked him anyone who slighted him You've, you've offended me, you've taken my power away, I'm going to take it back. That's what I think this is all about. It's not the yeah. way that, you know, a sensible, so, sane human being would manage so weird because mm -hmm. it just feels like there's no provocation, there's no motivation. Yeah. Like, just the whole thing just seems like he's just a... Oh, I think he is. And I, what distort, what annoys me is that, to your point, Swanee, about subsequent interviews, there's, yeah. there's nothing. He, he's never... He's not like Ed Kemper who never shuts up about what he did, yeah. you know, like he's and not one of those. And it's the ones who talk a whole lot of bullshit and you go, yeah, yeah, whatever, Yeah, mate. whatever, we're yeah, not that interested. That's yeah. part of, you can understand a little bit more the you know, narcissist or whatever it is they've got going yeah. on. But this guy, where, where it sort of gets to beat for me as well and you go, okay, I thought I had something worked out there, is where he shifts from annihilating, to use your word, his family to then go a couple of days later, oh, look, you know, while I'm at it, I think that was him. into town and I just honestly uh, think, wipe yeah. out that bird who wasn't giving me much attention. hundred percent. I'm going to go huh? down. What? Yeah. I'm going to go down for this anyway. I'm sitting around. They're all starting yeah. to smell a bit, so I've got to get out of here. Yes. And um, I may as well just go the hack, you yeah. know. In for a penny, in for a pound. In I think you're absolutely right. I think that should be the title of this. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to call it Christmas's Carnage, but sure. In for, in for <laughs> Christmas penny, isn't that? Was it, was it a penny that was in the in the, pudding? In the well, yeah, yeah, five in the pudding. cents, but yes, penny, yeah. pennies in the pudding, yeah. Yeah, I just get, it throws me, you're, like you think you're going, oh, I think this is where we, might, where we might be headed, and then all of a sudden we're over here, and then I'm like, I don't know, I, what? It's a bit oh. like your bloke the other day, I can't remember who he was because I like to not think about them afterwards but the one who attacked the poor woman he had he had, he had um abducted the woman and her daughter and raped her for 57 days that number sticks mm. in oh, my yes, head yes, yes. and um and Mary then he Elizabeth Stauffer. that's yeah. it and then he then he attacks her tries to attack her and does attack her yeah. in the court like he just they just don't give up by yeah. the way oh okay that's another little parallel for you of that case yeah this guy in, I think he went to trial twice, yeah. and in one of his trials he tried to attack the prosecutor and he tried to grab a gun off the bailiff or sheriff or something unsuccessfully, but it was all, provo the provocation was the prosecutor had brought out an undated letter that they had found, whether it was from him to his daughter or his daughter to him, I can't remember, mm -hmm. I think it might have been from the daughter, and, it, and the prosecutor had basically said it indicated a love-hate relationship between him and Sheila. And he got very angry at that moment and tried to attack him. And I think that all goes back to his, however he perceives people and his relationship with Sheila, the mm. daughter that he laid out in state. Yes, that was different, wasn't it? It was personal. Yeah. She was the one he cared about. So I assume it was, I mean, a sick man, but I assume it was a love-hate relationship with her. I don't mm. know if, if at some point that she had become like a replacement to his wife or whatever. We'll never know all of that. Apparently well, in the letter that he wrote that to she's her. She's gone and got married. I mean, you know, all, there were well, certain things that if they had all been under the same thing. house, you know, in yeah. the same house still if he was continuing to when she, rape when she Back in 81 when she um, made the complaint about him, abusing her yes i don't know if she'd been removed or or what had happened to her because there's not a lot of information 
someone else can fill us in if they can find it. Yeah. But uh, he wrote her a letter then and said something like, I'll see you in hell for what you've done, you know, making these claims against me or something like that. I suspect she probably left the household then. He wrote her a letter saying, I'll see you in hell for what you've done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Informing people that I'd raped. I'm pretty sure that's what uh, I read. Apologies for any listener who's going to correct me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what I read. Oh, he's awful. He's just a monster. Like, monster doesn't even get near it. Yeah, I think he sort of... I don't even know how to describe him. No. I think he hated himself. And I think he projects his feeling of hatred onto everyone else so that he can make them feel like they're doing the wrong thing by him. I, I, like, I can't get my head around why he, you know. Why he he's the victim? He, yeah, and why people are doing the wrong thing by him. He's sexually harassing everyone at work and he loses his job and someone else is to blame. Like, come on, mate. It's because that bitch is frigid. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just from a woman's yeah, but, perspective. That's the kind of shit he, that you hear. No, it's but like, why did he get you don't sacked wanna, then? You don't want to go out with some or have sex with some disgusting person. You know, his view is that you're the lesbian or you're the frigid one or you're the – it is that thing. Obviously, the management didn't see it that way. And just Correct. as well. You can't say yes to every disgusting man who comes on to you just in case they come back and try and shoot you later. <laughs> you, you can, but then you're a whore. I was going to say, it's, only, it's, if you're, it's only if you charge for it, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> only if you charge for it. Definitions, everything. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I honestly don't know where to go with this. I... Oh, I just think torture. Oh, I know. But like, I'm, I'm almost thinking just put him in a little jail cell in Robben Island and leave him there to rot for all eternity because that's cruel and unusual punishment. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. If that's if that's his own definition of a hellish existence, then send him there. You're going yeah. to get I, it. I wouldn't mind a little bit of, you know, rat nibbling going on at various <laughs> Oh, yeah. It might be quite nice to give him something whereby he has a difficulty swallowing or there's always like this sort of tightness around his neck to remind him that he strangled. Yeah. That could be quite nice. What about a bit of Alexander Dumbass yes. Dumas? <laughs> the <laughs> man in the iron mask the type thing yeah. where he's, he's yeah. got a collar and an iron mask and he's stuck in a dungeon being eaten by rats mm-hmm. for oh, the, oh, no, forever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good old Alexander Dumbass. I love that. You know that's a Shawshank. Redemption yeah. joke, yeah. Yep. Oh, you're looking at Paul's looking at me like what's it's, no, because it's Andy, not Alexander. So I had no idea what you were talking about. No, no that's Andy, Andy that's Dufresne. Andy Dufresne, uh-huh. you fool. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a fool. <laughs> no, Ale- uh, isn't it Alexander? Andy, Am I wrong? Who's no, you're right. No, who's Dumas Alexander? First Dumas. Name is Alexander. He's the man who wrote Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah, isn't he also the guy who wrote Three Musketeers? And yes, Andy Dufresne mentions that. Person. Alexandre Dumas. There you go. Alexandre. Yes, and Ellie, and because Andy Dufresne is a smart person, he talks he about it. One of the other guy goes, "Dumbass, I had read a book yeah, by yeah. Dumbass. Dumbass." I remember oh, Dumbass right. when they open yeah. up the library, the old library. Yes. So I think for probably this might be the first time in Trial by One history, the three of us have come to a consensus on the sentence. Mm. I think that's a very tidy sentence. I think that's a good because I, I think without oh, could. Oh, oh, could on, there be um, a bit of flooding as well? You know, to the point where he can he can just breathe from the like just right. for the drowning bit. I want yes, him to I feel see, that yes. 
Like we've seen in all the movies, doesn't matter what movie that there's bloody yeah, water comes yeah. up and, and the roof's coming and then it comes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just as the iron mask has dried out, the water comes up. And yeah, the water yeah. Goes back down. Yes, and it doesn't. Yeah. And the rats float up and. And never you know, like a scene, yeah. like a scene out of Titanic. You know some yeah. of those horrible oh, no. scenes where people were drowning in that movie. Mm. It was mm-hmm. awful. I, I think he could go with a little bit of that. We okay. had a, a cell that is um, a self-watering cell. That you know, as you say, so he's got to be up against the bars. You know, when you see them struggling yeah. because they can't get out. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and then just drains away. And drains away. Then it can't. Yeah, yeah. drains away really quickly, so he falls down on the ground. Mm. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am happy with that. So, Merry Christmas. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Got, got two months to cheer up before it actually happens. Well, indeed. But, you know, for our listeners, so thank you for joining us. If you've listened, li- listened. If you've listened to us on Christmas Day, I did warn you at the top of the episode. She was a dark one. But, you know, again, thank you for being on our journey and thank you, Clarkie and Swanee. And as we say every week, I miss you already. <laughs> Merry yeah, Christmas. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.